Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Now, if you've been following along on our last two most recent podcasts, actually, we, we've had a couple of great conversations regarding new laws here in Illinois that uh, are being implemented in, in 2016. Today, we're going to take a, a bit broader view, as we're not going to necessarily discuss specific new laws, but rather a, a relatively new term and a new area of investing that is becoming an important part of securities law that we haven't had a chance to talk about in the past. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell back with you again. And, and I'm sure you're familiar with the term crowdfunding. We, we hear that a bit uh, frequently now. But uh, really, you know, how much do we really know about what it means? And more importantly, for investors or for, or for businesses looking to raise capital, you know, what does it mean to them? What are the concerns that they should have about it? Well, here to join me today is a first-time guest. I'm, I'm very happy to have him with us. Attorney Chris Williams of Lavelle Law is going to stop by. Now, Chris joined the firm uh, in 2015, and uh, I look forward to this and, and future discussions with him. He's got a, a great background we're going to talk about. But first of all, Chris, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to have you with us for the first time. Hey, Jim. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Um, looking forward to a, a great conversation. Now, before before we get into the topic, I, I think our audience would be well served to, to kind of know a little bit more about your background and, and realize what a valuable resource you are in the, in the area of securities law as we get into these types of conversations. Give me, give me just a quick little background on, on where you came from and what you've done in the past. Oh, well, thanks. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, I started out with going to law school at Loyola and, in Chicago. And through that, I had the opportunity to intern with the CBOE at the Options Exchange. Uh, with that, transition over to uh, working at FINRA, which is uh, a, it's a regulatory body that covers a lot of exchanges, not just one individual exchange. And the reason that's important today with the crowdfunding is they'll be conducting the rules and the regulations for the funding portals. Okay. And that, that's great lead-in because I, you know, we you threw the term crowdfunding out there, and that's what we want to talk about today. It's, it's one of those things we all hear about, but you know, people nod their head. But if you say, "What does it really mean?" I'm not sure enough people could answer. So, is there a, a good definition you can share with us as to what that really means? Yes. So actually, that's part of the catch with the crowdfunding. It's a very broad term. Uh, so most people can picture the websites that you go to, and from there, uh, you can either be on the collecting side of money, or you can be giving the money for certain, depending on what the crowdfunding site does, uh, you'll get certain returns back, whether it's a gift or just a thank you. And, and tell me about those websites. I mean, are these the most common sources of crowdfunding? Uh, yes. So um, there really there are about, well, now there are four types of crowdfunding coming out uh, or available. And the first one is more of a re rewards-based crowdfunding. And that's your typical, your Kickstarter is one of the ones people tend to know a lot about. Uh, that's where the fundraiser themselves creates kind of different tiers of giving. And depending on how much the in 
uh, we'll call them investors, but they're not receiving interest in the company. The, however, mu- however much money the investor provides will determine the type of gift the investor receives. Uh, a big, very popular one that we can talk about a little bit more is Oculus. That was a group that was creating a virtual reality program, and depending on how much you invested with them or gave to them, you could receive an actual either just a T-shirt or all the way up to the actual Oculus uh, system. Mm-hmm. Then the next one okay. is just uh, oh, excuse me. Yep. Yeah, you said there were four. I, I, let's just get into a couple of the others then. Great. Well, the second one that's common is just the donation crowdfunding, and this is where a nonprofit, say a church, will raise money, or someone running or a marathon can raise money uh, for a specific interest. Uh, like, uh, again, a marathon or a faith group. The third one is a lending crowdfunding group, and this is where uh, you'll see a lot of these are common when you're doing, say, micro-lending to a developing country, and that's where you'll give money and return, get a little bit of a return back, a little interest rate on that one. So that's the third one. And then the fourth and final one is the one that's coming out that's new now and is gaining a lot of interest, especially, again, we can go back to the Oculus, but uh, this is where companies are actually, or excuse me, investors are actually putting in money for equity in the company. And so you actually become kind of a partial owner is the easiest way to explain that. Okay. And is that where... um the securities portion of this is is relevant in terms of actually becoming an equity owner, or do the types of laws that exist cover all the different types of uh, crowdfunding options? No, you're right. This is where securities law really kicks in. Uh, This is because all of a sudden, it used to be in the past that only accredited investors could put money into a company. And accredited investors, you either have You have to hit a certain threshold of net worth, or you have to bring in a certain annual income. So, for example, one person would have to bring in, say, $200,000, or as a couple, $300,000 annually to be allowed to invest in these companies. Um, Now, with the crowdfunding from the Jobs Act, starting pretty soon in about May, uh, anyone will be able to invest. Now, there are still stipulations, but it does allow the general public to invest, and that's where these crowdfunding sites will kick in and the securities laws will take effect. Mm -hmm. So is it truly a – it sounds to me, you know, that this is really like a a one-to-one marketplace. If if I'm an investor or want to be an investor, if I just simply do some searching and find something of interest, I can, you know, through this sort of online uh, contact build that relationship and become an investor are there is that simply the way it works are there brokers or other intermediaries that that get involved in this or is it truly direct definitely no there are actually intermediaries uh and you want to be careful with this one because this this is where you don't want to just give your money to anyone and not be protected so you want to go to a reputable what they call funding portal and these will be uh or broker dealer excuse me and they all are going to be registered through finra and that's actually <laughs> where my experience in the past hopefully helps on this sure. one. Uh, the With FINRA, they'll be registering, and they'll make sure that all the rules apply uh, from both sides. So as an investor, you have to, you're only allowed to invest a certain amount of money. And on the fundraising side, on the asset acquisition side, you're also only allowed to collect a certain amount of money. And when you hit certain thresholds, 
as the uh, fundraiser, then you have to provide more and more detail to your investors. Um, boy, I, I got a million questions I want to follow up here, and we're, we're just going to get as much as we can today. It's a, a terrific conversation with our first-time guest, Attorney Chris Williams of Lavelle Law. And if if you'd like to learn more about Chris and his experience in in crowdfunding and, and other aspects of securities law, visit LavelleLaw.com. You're going to find his profile there. He's already already started posting some articles. Um, and added to the library there. So, um, you know, as always, LavelleLaw.com, a great place to stop and get some information. Today we're talking about crowdfunding, and I expect we're going to have Chris back very soon to focus more on security law issues. But um, let's let's dig deeper on this one today. As I look at, you know, the concept you're describing, it sounds to me, I I guess I want to look at it two different ways. Let's, Let's, I guess, maybe take the negative view first, which is risk. It almost seems to me like both parties... Um, have a fair amount of risk here. Is is are there certain things uh, other than what you just briefly touched on that that either the the source or the investor need to be very careful about to to make sure that uh, they're not getting themselves into trouble in these relationships? Well, there's definitely risk involved on both sides. You're right there. Uh, when it comes to the investor side, the person giving the money uh, when they give the uh, when they give and uh, give their cash out for interest in a company, you're really hoping that the company is doing well or you or will do well. That's obviously the idea with investing and hoping for growth uh, and getting a return that way. Now, part of the risk is just the actual company itself. And then really with that one, it's just doing your research and trying to and investing in what you know. It's kind of cliche, it's what everyone says, but you don't want to just kind of randomly throw money out there and expect it all to come back because not every company will succeed. So you just have to know that ahead of time. On yeah, the fundraising side. Yeah, exactly. What, what about the other side? What, because it seems to me, it, boy, easy enough to just ask for money, but i I got to believe there's risk on that side as well. <laughs> Yeah, well, on the fund on the fundraising side, you actually a lot of it is just knowing what what's going to be required of you after you've raised the money. Now you want to know this obviously before you start raising money. Um, for example, if you start raising over five hundred thousand dollars, which sounds great, there's a lot of interest in your company, people are giving money, but all of a sudden you have new. Uh, new obligations, for example, an outside auditor coming in and checking, uh, sending out the reports that's going to go to your investors. Uh, this adds an extra cost. So all of a sudden, your business plan is going to have to afford these new new outside auditors coming in. Or, for example, uh, just the idea that now you have a bunch of kind of partners on the side, these investors, and depending on which portal you use, they might be able to send you questions you have to respond to. So all of a sudden you have all these, <laughs> all this almost admin work that you have to start uh, being prepared for and answering the questions honestly, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as as you look at this, you know, one of the things I always talk to some of your colleagues about is, you know, when we talk about the, the legal industry, I, I see it as being, you know, on two sides of a wall. One is people need attorneys when there's a problem and they're there to help resolve that problem as best they can. Or if they're smart, they use an attorney up front to help them prevent problems. Is that something you can do now with with either companies or investors, certainly with your experience, to say, look, before you get into this, these are the things you need to do. And once you start, if you do these things, you, you kind of stay on the right side of the law. 
Yes, we can. It's always good to be on the preventative side. It just saves a lot, a lot of money, a lot of fines, a lot of trouble and time. So you can, so the investor can really, or excuse me, the fundraiser and investor, they can both really focus on uh, what they're doing best, uh, the, either the investing side or the running their business after they've received the investments. Uh, personally, we work more with the the fundraiser side. They're going to have to do a lot more of the compliance work. The investor themselves can just give the money. And now if they have issues with, if they think something's wrong with where they invested their money, obviously we can help them there. But when it comes to the early side, the, the preventative side, that's going to be more with the fundraiser and making sure that they have all their ducks in a row to raise the funds, keep their new investors happy, and also focus more on their business and growing that than having to worry about the compliance and making sure that they stay out of trouble there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if it's really the right thing to touch on today, but I'll throw the question out, which is we, we've talked about risk. We've talked about the process a little bit. Just curious, you know, what's the advantage to, to raising money this way? Why, why is it suddenly becoming such a, a popular and, and you know prevalent thing? Oh, well, this is—it's. Uh, I really enjoy this part. Now, hopefully, we can talk about this in the next—the uh, next talk we have because this one can go on for a while. But big picture idea is that there—you always hear about venture capitalists and angel fund investors and how they get involved with these companies ahead of time, uh, and now. This new crowdfunding allows the general public to also join in with the venture capitalists, with the angel fund investors. With that, with the access that they're given, they can join alongside, which one allows the investor to show venture capital, the the big investment firms, uh, that there is traction. The customers and clients do um, they. They feel that this is a good investment to make. Mm-hmm. They can show that there's going to be interest once the company's going, which can help bring in these larger investment firms. Um, on the same side, on the excuse me, the other side though is if you have a bunch of little investors, the venture capital firms are going to have to figure out how to handle not being the only voice within the company. So we can dig into that more later. There's a lot there. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, let's plan on doing that. Uh, Chris Williams of Lavelle Law has been my guest today, and I, I'm thrilled he took the time to join us and be a part of the podcast, and I look forward to talking to him again down the road. So a great, great conversation today. And uh, as always, uh, I want to thank our, all of you for being here. Um, a lot we've covered, a lot more we'll get to. So uh, if you want to find out more, jump over to LavelleLaw.com, or you can call Chris, uh, maybe get together with him. He's at 847-705-7555. And I'm sure he'll take some time to have a conversation with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.